Welcome to the Hope Fellowship Podcast, where you can listen to our weekly walk through the Bible. We do hope you enjoy your time with us today. Please check us out at hopehogansville.com. And if you feel led to support our ministry, please click the link in this episode's description. Now here's this week's walk through the Bible. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8-12. To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. For the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege of being able to walk through it together this morning. Pray that you will take these teachings and use them to um, speak to our hearts, to lead us in righteousness, and to lead us in obedience. Help us to repent if there is uh, repentance that is needed and help us to worship uh, you for the things that are revealed here about you. God, we love you and we thank you for your work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. So this section is a quote from Psalms chapter 34, verses 12 through 16. Uh, Starting in verse 10, uh, Peter quotes almost word for word, Uh, these verses from Psalm 34. But something that's kind of unique to note about Peter's letter is that there's a there's a theme of obedience that you kind of see all the way throughout. He's he's really a preacher of um, of behavior. He preaches how we ought to live and how we ought to act as Christians. Now to clarify, um, just like to say this as often as I can, that when we see a lot of this in the New Testament letters, this behavior language and this obedience language, these, these are being preached as fruits or evidences of salvation. These are being preached as um, qualities and characteristics of those who are believers, meaning that these aren't the things that we must do in order to be saved. These are the things that we must do because we are saved, because we have a relationship with Jesus Christ and he's present within us because we love the things of God and because we love the holiness of God and we in turn hate the evil of this world and we hate the sins of our former lives and so then there is repentance that should be seen. And so we see this reflected in these kind of instructions. And when we look at these verses this morning, we're going to see several times that Peter says we must do something. Uh, As he quotes the Psalm of David, where David says we must do these things. So we're going to kind of take a look at Um, those words this morning. Uh, One thing particular to note about this here is that in verse 8 and 9, he gives us a list of things that we ought to do. And these are general uh, instructions that we're to apply to all the relationships that we have that Peter's touched on here. Specifically, uh, relationships like when we have to submit to our governing authorities, whether they be kings or governors, um, if we find ourselves in a type of a master-slave relationship, or if we are um, husbands to wives or wives to husbands and these types of relationships were to apply these principles. And he mentions several things that kind of go with all of these being harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, 
kind-hearted and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. So these were basically Peter's applications to a scripture that he's about to quote. So he says in verse 10, the one who desires life to love and see good deeds must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. And he quotes this passage of scripture from Psalms. It's almost like he's a, he's a good preacher. He reads the word of God and then he applies the word of God to his people. Only in this case, he's giving applications and then he's given the scripture that is the foundation for the application that he's instructing the church to, uh, to apply to their lives. And then he follows that up with a few more verses of application after that, which we'll come to in the following weeks. But what's interesting here is that Peter uses this passage uh, to apply principles to the way that we live and conduct ourselves in our relationships today, meaning that if we are obedient to God and if we practice righteousness in our behavior today, then there is a blessing that we can taste, sort of that that, uh, that earthly blessing that the Israelites tasted of when they were obedient to God. When they were obedient to God, God blessed them and God protected them and God took care of them. When they were disobedient, they saw consequences for that. And some of that we continue to see in our relationships today. I think it's kind of interesting to read Peter's letter because he preaches works a lot. True. He ties our obedience and our righteous behavior to relationships that could potentially be successful if we would be obedient. To Let's get to uh, verse 10. This is what he says. Um, well, I have to read the last part of verse, uh, verse 9 to kind of lead into that. He says, For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. And I kind of landed on that last week. I think that kind of ties this in, the idea of that blessing that the Israelites were holding on to. He says, this blessing that we're inheriting is a future inheritance, but it is also a present reality. And so then he leads into that by saying, the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. So now he's speaking in practical terms when he speaks of life, love, and good days. He's saying, if you are a Christian and a believer who lives in a world that, some, uh, that hates you and despises your way of life, but you still, you desire to have a good life, you desire to have love, and you desire to see good days. And David makes it even more specific. The days that he refers to, he refers to as long days. You desire to see long days or, or, or days um, that, you know, a long, a good amount of days on this earth. If you desire to live a long life that's good and full of love, then here are some qualities that we must pay attention to. David mentioned those, and Peter is saying that these are still applicable to us today in the way that we live our life. And so he says this is important for life, love, and length of days. Um, and he leads into these instructions. There are three of them here, three things that are kind of uh, imperatives. These are things that we must do. First of all, we must keep, um, he says, he must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. If we are desiring life, love, and good days on this earth, then here is something that we must apply specifically in our relationships with the people around us. Now, 
Um, must keep means to stop or cease. The literal translation of that means to stop doing something or to cease from doing something. That, that must and that keeping our tongue from evil means that we are to stop or cease using our tongue for evil things. And well, that's basically simply to say stop lying and stop deceiving one another in our relationship context. To be honest and not mislead one another. Let your yes be yes and your no be no, so to speak. He's reminding the church that for in all these relationships that he's touched on and with the difficulties and the conflicts that we deal with on a daily basis, and I think if we're in a um, in any of these relationships that are close, whether like husbands and wives, um, these are very important qualities for us to apply. So a couple of scripture verses that I wanted to read that I felt like kind of helped put some of this in perspective. Proverbs 13, 3 um, shows us one. Uh, Proverbs 13, 3 says this, the one who guards his mouth preserves his life. The one who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. And I thought that was a really good um, practical instruction about the danger of our lips and that we need to be careful with our mouth and the words that we speak. And he's saying in a very practical sense that if we want to preserve our life or live long life, so to speak, then we need to be careful with the words that we say to one another and in our relationships. Another passage of scripture, I think this one is a, a good one to, um, to pray, is from Psalm 141. Psalm 141, verse 3. Uh, he says this, set guard, and this is kind of in the context of a bigger prayer in this psalm, but it's one line that I feel like is a really good thing to pray over our own mouths. He says, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not incline my heart to any evil thing. So he's simply saying, God, please guard my mouth. Watch over the door of my lips. And he's asking God to guard our hearts from evil things. And then he gives us, Peter gives us this instruction that we must turn from evil and do good. So that is a form of repentance. So that word to turn is repentance, which simply means to turn away from something and turn to something else. It is the turning away from sin and in a biblical context, a turning to the ways of Jesus Christ. But in this spot, it, it, it has an additional application. The way that it's used in this context, it means to stay away from it brings with it the presumption that we've already chosen to turn away from sin and to turn to the ways of Christ in our own behavior and in, in our own relationship with God. And, and he's saying in, and for the preservation of our relationships and for living a life of obedience to God and living out the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, then we need to guard our hearts and stay away from the sins that we've already turned away from. He's saying, set a guard over your heart, be careful, be cautious to make sure that you do not turn back to the things that you've decided are, and you already know are evil and wrong. Specifically, uh, the evil that we're tempted to give back towards other people when they do evil towards us. It is in that context. So it is simply a turning, um, turning from evil and turning towards what is good. And one passage of scripture from Isaiah, the heart of God for us, uh, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 16, he says, Wash yourselves, 
Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. Defend the orphan and plead for the widow. I believe in, in context, we know that ultimately our cleansing can only come by faith in Jesus Christ. Trusting in Jesus for salvation is what brings us cleansing. But we are also being instructed by God that this is the heart of God for us. He desires holiness. He is holy, and he desires to see holiness. And if we have been made righteous, and if we stand before God holy, then we ought to still strive for holiness in our lives. So when we see unholiness in our behavior, we ought to cleanse ourselves of that. We ought to, we ought to cut it off and sacrifice that. It ought to die at the foot of the cross, dying to ourselves so that we can live for Christ, ceasing to do evil, learning to do good, teaching ourselves to do what God loves. And he mentions a few of those things in Isaiah, seeking justice, reproving the ruthless, defending the orphan, pleading for the widow. These are things that God loves. Teach yourselves how to do those things and teach yourself how not to do the other things. And that's what he means by uh, keeping our tongue from evil, our lips from speaking deceit, and turning away from evil and doing good. And then he says, uh, the third thing that we must do is we must seek peace and pursue it. Now, to seek, uh, to seek peace simply means to, uh, to look for or strive after what appears to be lost. So, that seeking that's mentioned here implies the idea that uh, this peace that we're supposed to strive for, that we're supposed to have in our relationships, at times appears to be a lost cause or appears to be out of reach. And we have to apply an action towards that, uh, meaning that peace doesn't just happen. We have to go after it. And then he uses the word pursue, which means to run after or to chase or to hunt. So it's not enough to just embrace peace when it's offered. Peace doesn't happen. We, we have to go after it, which means that we need to work at pursuing peace in our relationships. And if we drop our guard and we choose to be lazy and apathetic in all the relationships of our lives, there's a chance that conflict will arise and conflict will be allowed to take root and create more issues in the relationship than it should because we become too apathetic or passive about pursuing peace with one another, whether that be with our husbands and wives, with our masters or with our employers or with our governors or whatever that may be. So he, these are three simple instructions. We have to keep our tongue from evil and our lips from speaking deceit, turn from evil and do good, seek peace and pursue it. There's a passage of scripture in Romans, Chapter 14, verse 17, it says this about pursuing peace. Romans 14, verse 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, in this context, Paul's talking to the church about kind of a dispute between um, what people think is unclean and what people think is clean to eat or drink, and they're deciding what's sinful and what's not sinful about eating and drinking. And Paul kind of redirects the heart of uh, the listener to a different focus, and he says, uh, the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking, 
but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So there's that, again, that concept of being acceptable to God and being approved by men, kind of meaning that there's going to be a natural consequence or a natural effect of being a peaceable person, a person who serves Christ and a person who um, is acceptable to God um, or a person who... um, pursues righteousness and joy in the Holy Spirit. He says these are things that that will cause us to not only be acceptable to God, but also approved by men. It will affect positively our relationships with the people around us in general. And we know there's exceptions to that because obviously 1 Peter is set in a persecution context. So obviously being a believer in Jesus Christ does invite persecution and opposition. But He says, in general, being this kind of a peaceable and joyful person in the Holy Spirit should affect our relationships around us in a positive way. And it's pleasing to God. And this is what he says. um, So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. So we are being instructed to pursue peace, pursue the things that build other people up. And then another passage of scripture on that one is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. It says this, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God so that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble and by it may be defiled. Now that passage in Hebrews uh, brings in the idea of it's kind of a gospel context. He's saying, for the sake of the gospel, pursue peace. He's saying, pursue peace with all men and sanctification. What is sanctification? Sanctification is is the growing in holiness that is uh, an outward evidence and a fruit of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Meaning that if we are genuinely and in fact saved and the Spirit of God dwells within us, then we ought to be growing in sanctification and in holiness. And that obedience and that righteousness ought to be flowing out of our lives. And we are to pursue that and pursue peace with all people. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God so that that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble. Meaning we ought to be careful not to allow a root of bitterness to grow in our heart to cause such conflict within our relationship with other people that we neglect the, the application of the grace of God in other people's lives. So for the sake of the gospel, we're to pr- pursue peace with all people. So um, these are kind of a practical application of verses. Our verses 8 and 9 are kind of a practical application of these teachings. If you were to kind of go back through verses 8 and 9, you kind of see this. In verse 8, he says, Be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble in spirit. Those are, those are qualities that will be fueled and strengthened by keeping our tongue from evil and our lips from speaking deceit. If we're keeping our tongue from evil and our lips from speaking deceit, then the words that we will be using in all of our relationships, even in our conflicts, our words will be harmonious. Our words will be sympathetic. Our words will be brotherly. They'll be filled with kindness and and humble in spirit, not filled with pride. So in dealing with our conflicts, our words will reflect those qualities. And then you see in verse 9, he says, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult. We see that in verse 11. He says, we must turn away from evil and do good. 
So Peter is taking each line of this passage from David and he's interpreting it and applying it to us and our relationships. And then in verse 9, he says, not returning evil for ins- evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. So then there's the opposite of doing evil. Instead, we do good towards one another. He must turn away from evil and do good. We must seek peace and pursue it. That is the act of blessing those who persecute us. We seek peace in those relationships and we pursue peace in those relationships, even with those who persecute us. And then he kind of lands on two truths that I think should increase our faith. Uh, The purpose of being given truths of God in scripture are to reveal to us the qualities of God. Uh, Sometimes they reveal to us the truth about us. Sometimes they reveal to us the truth about God. In this case, these are truths about God. And I think they're designed for the purpose of, or they're, they're given to us and revealed for the purpose of increasing our trust in God. There's two things that he says here. First one, he says, for the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. And his ears attend to their prayer. So you've got eyes and the ears of God. And then you have these words that point out that they are toward us and they are attentive toward us. His eyes are toward us and his ears are attentive to us. He's paying attention to us and he's watching us. Um, I think this is what's called, you don't have to remember this, but there's a um, kind of a fancy term for kind of, it's a literary style. It's called anthropomorphism. It's the idea of where you, attri- you attribute human-like qualities to something that doesn't actually have human-like qualities. Um, so in this case, you know, God is spirit. He doesn't actually have eyes and ears and a mouth and a tongue and, um, and you know, a physical form. But yet we are made in the image of God. There are, we reflect aspects of God that cannot be seen. Um, And he uses those words for us, for our comfort, because he uses those words like eyes and ears because those are things we relate to. Those are things that we understand. God does see us. God does hear us. An interesting quality about this that I think is is really beautiful is that, that because of God's love for us in Christ Jesus. We know that we have met the approval of God because we stand before God holy and uncondemned. And we take great comfort in that. And as a result of that, when we cry out to the Lord for help, we know he listens because there's nothing standing in our way. There's nothing standing between us and God because Christ intercedes on our behalf. And so he gives us a great comfort in saying whatever circumstance we're going through and every difficulty of all of our relationships, whether it be the worst conflicts we've ever, we're, we've ever had to endure, when we cry out to the Lord, we can trust that he is, his eyes are toward us and his ears are paying attention to us and he's listening. And it does seem to indicate that because of our willingness to walk in his way, his favor is turned toward us as well meaning that he desires to do good and to apply goodwill toward our lives if we will walk in his way. Now, we do know there are exceptions to that. There are people that have walked in God's way 
and done God's will, and still God has allowed them to suffer persecution. Job is a really great example of that. But just because we suffer persecution and endure hardship doesn't necessarily mean we are living in sin, right? And we, we find plenty of examples of that in Scripture and in, uh, in, 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 in our own lives today. But sometimes when we're living in sin, we endure hardship, and it's because we're living in sin. And it's because we have, we have brought upon ourselves natural consequences. And the Lord still desires good for us and desires that we not endure those types of consequences. But we have brought them on by our sin. And he is telling us that if we will repent of our sins, then we will, at, we will bring the, will of, the good will of God into our relationships. Simply saying that if you're struggling in your relationships then you're having a difficult time in your relationships, make sure it's not your own evil that's causing the problem. We kind of know there's always, there's, we've all known some, uh, at least one person in our life that just never seems to get along with anybody. And you talk to them and they say, well, this person hates me this way and this person hates me that way. And this person did this evil thing towards me and that person did this evil thing toward me. And at some point you just kind of want to look at them and say, you know what, it might be you. It might be you. You know, I don't want to be mean, but it does seem like you're just a, you know, you're, you're a hard person to be, be around. And, um, and I, you know, sometimes I think that we have conflicts because we bring our own issues into those problems. And I think God is saying if you want his, uh, his help in these things, then make sure that we are repenting of our sin at the same time. Um, now, he says, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, his ears attend to their prayer. God is with us, God is listening to us, and he is inviting us to pray. I think that's a, a beautiful quality there. He's saying, listen, I'm, I'm listening to your prayer so you can pray. Talk to me about what's going on in your life, and I'm listening. And then the last truth that he shares, he says that the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And in Scripture, wherever you see uh, a passage of Scripture that indicates that the face of God is turned uh, um against somebody that's a form of judgment that's a that's a reference to god's judgment it doesn't necessarily mean that if god turns his face towards anybody then um then he's against them okay because he's already told us that his eyes are towards us and his ears are towards us um, so it's a figure of speech when he says that his face is turned towards somebody um is turned against somebody it is um, specifically for those who do evil, and it is specifically for the purpose of judgment. And that means that he will judge those who do evil. God is our avenger. He does not allow evil to go unpunished. And I think that's one of our biggest struggles when dealing with conflict and in relationships is that when somebody has wronged us, we feel like in order for justice to take place, we need to make sure that we have clearly communicated to the offending party that they have done, done wrong. And oftentimes we feel like because we're the offended party, it would be just for us to bring the punishment, to bring the judgment in that person's life. But in, in this context, we are encouraged to remember that God is judge. God is the avenger, and it is not our place to return um, to bring judgment. And in fact, when we do, it generally turns out to be more like returning evil for evil. Whenever we try to make somebody else realize the error of their ways by way of our personal punishment. So God is saying, make sure that we do not apply that in our relationships. But these are two really good truths and for us to hold on to, and they should be encouraging to us and comforting to us. 
Especially when we realize sometimes that we watch people doing evil things for a really long time and we kind of wonder at what point is this going to be made to stop, right? At what point is, is, this, is God going to do something? And sometimes I think we get impatient with God. Solomon struggled with that he wrote, when he wrote Ecclesiastes. You know, he, he, he questioned, you know, he kind of wondered, you know, why is it that all the righteous people are suffering under the horror evils of wicked people who seem to be getting everything they want and have lived a long life? Why is it that God allowed that? And I think what uh, we come to realize throughout Scripture is that even if a wicked person is allowed to live a long life getting everything they want, God still does not allow their evil to go unpunished and judgment does come. We just have to trust that it's in the hands of God and our timing is not his timing. And I think that's something that when you read about the persecuted church, you find that it seems like those who have endured much persecution seem to have a better grasp on than us because they've had to wrestle with it so much. They are having to cry out to God for help so much. And they're having to trust God to work in the hearts of their persecutors, even as they are being persecuted. And many uh, stories and testimonies that you read of persecuted Christians, you hear testimonies of people praying for their salvation and praying that God would lead them um, to, um, to righteousness by faith in Jesus Christ. And, uh, and it is truly the grace of God that he did not judge them when he did, or they would have spent an eternity in hell. So it should the patience of God that he extends toward all of us, we should desire to extend toward those who are evil around us. Um, again, that doesn't necessarily mean we have to stay in abusive situations, but it's not our position to always fix abusive people. Um, so as we conclude, I'd just like to kind of point out that um, I think we, you know, as a form of application, there's a few things here. First of all, we can trust in God's favor toward the righteous. We can trust that God does apply favor towards believers in Jesus who live righteous lives. And then we can trust uh, that God is paying attention to our prayers and we can pray. We can pray for help. And then also we can believe that God will judge those who do evil against us and trust those people into the hands of God. And then I just as a matter of simple application to the things that he's already shared, I think it's very practical for us to remember that we must Keep our tongue from evil and our lips from speaking deceit. And we must turn away from evil and do good. And we must seek peace and pursue it. Those are the practical applications that we've been given in these passages. So let's pray through those things together. Thank you for listening to this week's Walk Through the Bible with Hope Fellowship. I leave you with these words from Numbers 6, 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.